We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for Roto Grinders is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. And just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to the advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes. I don't know why you'll need it for 90 minutes. Uh, it doesn't take me that long, but if, hey, if you don't want to recharge it, you could take the longest shave you ever, ever could possibly dream of. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower if you want. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. And sometimes to kind of show off your significant other. A little, little extra lighting. They also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, if you're seeing me around the world today, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours, right? You want to trim the bad players in your lineups? You should also trim your junk too. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ROTO, R-O-T-O at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code ROTO, R-O-T-O, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. Manscaped.com. And use, ro- code, use the code ROTO, R-O-T-O.
T-O. Your balls will thank you. Welcome, Grinders, to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show. I'm Jordan Cooper, your host for this year. Last year, we had Travis. I filled in a couple of times. They like me so much. I'm going to be here all year with the two main men, main men of Advanced Sports Analytics. I mean, me and uh, Stuart Gibson, we go, we, we go way back. We did a couple of shows last week. And then, and then the, the, the main, main man who, uh, me, me and Brandon, we both have very similar backgrounds. I regularly, uh, at least to myself, refer to Brandon Adams as the more successful version of me. So, so welcome, guys, for a new season, a COVID season, a no preseason season. Uh, what's going on this year for Advanced Sports Analytics? Well, I, I have to say that we love Travis, but we, we decided that your quirky mind fits us just perfectly. And we made a we made a strong bid to get you as the as the host. I'm I'm, I'm happy. The, that the, the bid at, you had just it's like Price is Right. You just had to bid a dollar. <laughs> yeah, Stuart and I we uh, we think we have a, a unique way of approaching the game, and I, I find that your uh, your approach fits our way of thinking about things just right. And I'll, I will have to tell you something. Stuart is so committed to you that he purchased your audio course. Now I know I saw and and hope, hopefully maybe uh, in addition to to doing well with the models that maybe he could actually win a GPP one of these days. Yeah, I'm I'm working my way through it. I find honestly it's it's very difficult to absorb while I'm working on coding. Like I think I have kind of a one track mind so I like try to put it on in the background and then just like blank out um on either one or the other, it's kind of a counterproductive uh, way to work. But I'm, I'm going to try to kind of make time for it while uh, while walking the dog and just kind of, you know, doing some stuff around the house. Um, definitely going to try to continue to work my way through it. I don't know if you can. Can you see my progress? Um, I think I think I, think I can. I, th- I have you reached the vomit stack section? I don't think so. I, I was particularly interested in the kind of player uh, player selection portion because that's kind of up my alley and uh you know aligns with kind of how i'm thinking about uh asa and uh just general dfs um but yeah i'm super excited for our content this season uh i think in the early stages we've been working to lay the foundation with you know just basic stuff like projections which i know may or may not have that much use for this show um we're probably going to try to be thinking more off the wall um but yeah as the season continues definitely want to build out some tools around uh, correlation, uh, you know, our projections right now are like point projection, you know, median point projections, but, uh, you know, thinking about projections as a distribution outcomes, I think is super important. And, uh, yeah, you don't see a ton of stuff out there with, um, super good distributional projections or, you know, blending projections with range of outcomes plus correlation. Uh, I definitely think that's a direction we went ahead, uh, as the season continues and we kind of work to build out those tools, uh, as the season continues. Yeah, I'm sure you I'm sure you know Jordan that the the foundational idea of advanced sports analytics was that we we kind of surveyed the landscape about 4 years ago now and we were like, okay, where are the holes? And basically what we found is that there was very good median projection stuff out there and there was very good slate by slate write-ups out there. And we didn't see a way that we could improve on that. 
but we noticed that there was weak data on distributions and correlations. And we thought that this was extremely important for tournaments. And that's been basically the founding idea of advanced sports analytics. Now, we don't uh, do ownership, which would be the, you know, if you, have, if you have distribution, if you have correlation, if you have ownership and you have projections, that's the whole, that's the whole package. We, we don't have ownership on the, on the thinking that there are people out there that specialize in it, just comparative advantage, we'll leave it to them. Um, we, um, we are starting to build out projections. So we're, we're reaching into that. And, and we, think, um, we think we have some, some very unique data for, for tournament players. And we kind of see it as a must-use resource for, for tournament players. Right, because I mean the real key detail when it comes to tournaments, it's not necessarily predicting who is going to do well, but who is more likely to do well in comparison to how much they're owned. And it may sound similar, but to a lot of uh, average DFS players, it's, well, Devontae Adams is most likely to do well and he's going to be 18% owned. It's like, well, is that his efficient ownership? If he's going to be owned at about the same rate that he smashes, or he becomes like GPP relevant, you need to have them in a winning lineup, then it's kind of a wash. If you constantly roster those players in a lineup with one another, then you're not going to win the Millie maker that way because it's just you don't have enough leverage that way. But when you roster the 4% owned player that has an 8% chance of being in the winning lineup, that's where, that's where you get your, your expected value from. And of course, you need a large sample size of slates in order to realize that EV. But that's kind of the crux of like, like when you mentioned that I have a weird mind, like for GPP players, it's not really a weird mind. Like you, you have to think that way in order to build lineups to have the best, you know, first place equity in these contests that have 200, 300,000 people. In it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, the industry is increasingly going to that, that type of contest. Um, the top heavy contest where median projections are, are not the most important thing. Right. Right. But I mean, if you're playing double up, sure. But like when people look at the difference between, I mean, I, I view it from a game theory perspective, I'm always looking at the data that will affect a, a decision dramatically. So when I look, if I'm weighing the difference between two players and one has a median projection of 18.4, and one has a median projection of 18.25. Like, is that that dramatic where it's like, well, who's better? It's like, it's, you'd have to play this slate out 10,000 times to even realize that difference in median. But if one guy is twice as owned as the other guy, then it just makes the, the choice easy to me. That I'm not looking for the better player. I'm looking for the better player in comparison to their ownership. And those marginal differences in the projections. I know a lot of people that do projection models over the long, long haul. Yes. You'll get, you'll get that player is slightly better over the long run, but in the span of one week, you know, the difference between two guys with a median of even two or three points to one another, the results could be the difference of 30 points. So thinking in terms of medians, I mean, that's why what you're doing at ASA where you should look at the median as if it's a distribution curve and not just a number. Absolutely. 
So I, I think that since since we do have you, it would be wise to spend maybe 20 minutes, an unusual amount of time talking about macro strategy on these slates. And then and then we'll spend 40 minutes going in play by play, position by position. We do have some special things to say about certain positions. So so maybe maybe that would be a good way to do it. We spend 20 minutes talking about macro strategy, then 40 minutes talking about uh, position by position. Um, in terms of macro strategy, we'll focus on DraftKings and we'll focus on the uh, million dollar tournaments, million dollar top prize tournaments. You've got the the five dollar ultra large field and then the, and then the hundred dollar uh, large field. Um, so we'll so we'll focus on those. Um, there's a certain spiel we have at ASA that I you probably heard me give last year. Um, Stuart and I have done a lot of work on opportunity in games, fantasy opportunity in games. And um, one, one interesting finding is that the over-under, which is the overwhelming focus of fantasy players, is a median number. But what you care about for fantasy purposes is the probability of a game truly going off, right? So like there's a tendency for fantasy players to be fixated on the, on the over under number. Um, But a wiser way to look at it would be what is the probability of each game having a cumulative number of points over 55 points, over 60 points, over 65 points, over 70 points, like that. Um, And our data suggests that the probability of a game going off, say having over 70 points scored, is even more influenced than you might think by by the over under number. In other words, like, the, the game that has an over-under of 42, they have more than 70 fantasy points scored almost never. Whereas intuitively, like, you, you kind of think you can recall some games that, that went off that had the over-under 42. It happens almost never. And, and it's, it's far, far more likely to happen for the, the over-under of 50 than it is for the over-under of 45. And this is, this is something that fantasy players kind of know intuitively, but it's one of those findings. It's even more true than you think. It's even more true than you think that you should focus your fantasy output on, on high over under games, because those, those games are much more likely to go off than the other games. And um, it's also true that when they do go off, when they do have that say over 74 or whatever, um, more positions in the game than you might think go off. So this is something that the fantasy community didn't generally appreciate like four years ago, but they've, they learned fairly quickly that you could win a large field with a lot of players in the same game. Um, it's not intuitively obvious, but it, it comes through in our, in our numbers. And now fantasy players just kind of know it part partially Jordan, you mentioned in your podcast that you um, spend a lot of time studying the lineups of top players. I think partially the the fantasy community has 
has learned this by studying the lineups of Chipotle Addict every week and all other top players where they they look at it and they're like, wow, he's got a lot of lineups that have a lot of players from the same games. Um, and yeah, that's just, that's coming straight, straight from the data. Um, right. But, but I mean, a lot of times I'm not necessarily looking like what you're talking about is looking for the games that have the most likelihood of having a plus one standard deviation of their median over under. So like if they have a 49 that it's going to put up 65, if they can have 42, it's going to put up 54, but I'm. Well, they just have a wider distribution period. Right. Um, But But I'm also comparing that to the salary. Like to me, like my vomit stack type of mentality is that like we take a look at this week. I think the game that stands out of uh, Tampa Bay and New Orleans, high over under, probably a high chance of, you know, as out of all the games compared to like Bill's Jets of putting up 60, 70, 75 points. But also in that game, you have like every, if you stack that game, you have like no money left. Like the, the only way, like you need comparatively higher standard deviation. You need to get closer to that one standard deviation to have a lineup where you're stacking Brady with Godwin and Evans and running it back with Kamara and Thomas. And then you're basically punting with three K guys, the rest of the, like you need 70 points for that game stack for like a three plus two yet in a game like for instance, like Washington, Philadelphia, lower total, less likely to put up 65 points. But I mean, the play, the pieces are cheap. Gibson's cheap. McLaurin's cheap. Like, oh, I don't need a full, I need a standard deviation, but the standard deviation is not going to be 70. It may be instead of the, the Eagles putting up 24 points as the implied total, I just need them to put up 35 and I need the Redskins to put up 21 and that game stack, that could be the winning, that could be the winning game stack, even with a 54 point total only because the salary adjusted value of that game is much lower. And that's why I don't tend to stack expensive games because even though they're more likely, like if I don't get that top end standard deviation, like the whole stack is dead. Like you just did not get enough points for the salary that I would have much rather had a game that had a 42 total end up at 54. Would, would that, would that at least be somewhat accurate? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, like I, uh, yeah, I would, I would far prefer the characteristics of like Seattle, Atlanta than, um, than the, than the games that you mentioned, but I, I'm, I'm absolutely with you that the, that the Philly Washington game, it's, like to me, that would be uh, a different tier than the Atlanta Seattle game, like a different tier of interest for me. Um, Cause I do think that the Atlanta Seattle game is much more likely to have the, the very high number of points scored. Also, um, also the comparative salaries are, are at least manageable. Like the pieces of the game, like we take a look at the Seattle, like to stack Lockett and, uh, DK Metcalf or include a Will Disley or a Chris Carson. Like they're not that expensive. And then you could run it back with a Ridley who's manageable Julio Jones. If you want to run it the the Ryan route and have Hayden Hurst in there, like 
Like you have cheap pieces to at least make a three plus two or even a three plus three where you're at least plugging in a flex spot that is like a decent, like workhorse running back type. I'm just looking at the ones where like we see with the, like the chiefs, a lot of times, like the chiefs were facing the saints. Like you could say the over under could be 57 in that game, but to stack three plus three is almost impossible. So like, I look for that middle ground. I just use uh, the Eagles and the Washington football team as, as an example, but just, it's a, it's a game that has cheaper pieces. So I'm kind of, I'm not looking at the Bills Jets, but I'm looking at the, at the, the, the Lions Bears. I'm looking at like, kind of like the mid range where the quarterback is not like the highest priced guy because quarterback uh, scoring tends to be very narrow range that that alone is not going to win you a GPP, but the stack may. So like the ones with the expensive quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, seven K, you know, a, 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 even a 300 yard game with two touchdowns may not be enough for the stack unless he just happens to be the highest uh, scoring quarterback. But that's why like I'm looking for the cheap quarterbacks so I could pair cheap quarterbacks with two good receivers, two good run backs, including a running back, and then still have a flex spot where I could plug in a, a Dalvin cook or something and get, get 20, 22 points or something. So like, to me, I'm always looking comparatively to the salary and the ownership. Cause obviously high total game, you get plenty of ownership. So if you're going to stack, if you're going to create a three plus two, where all the guys are like 15, 20% owned, like now you, now you have to hope that it goes for 70 points. And then you have to hope that you got the pieces around it. Cause now you're competing with like a thousand other lineups. So like, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're you're right from a macro level, but looking at the micro of what types of lineups that I want to create, I think I give a little bit more credence to the, those mid-range games that have manageable stack sizes. And would you? I mean, I think you even with that strategy, Jordan, you probably do have some opportunity to still get exposure to that massive game where maybe you're taking pieces from that game, but not necessarily building your core. Uh, you know, through that game. Right. I'll have Michael Thomas one-off. I'll have a Julio Jones one-off. I may have a Calvin. I mean, I may love those games. I may, but the stack may, how often will that stack hit for the ownership and for the expense of the stack? Cause I knit like the more expensive it is. If you told me a stack, if you could tell me I could get a 5k quarterback with their two main receivers that are going to get 20 plus percent target shares. And they're both 4k. And then the opposing running back who's going to get 25 carries and four catches is 5,800. Like to me, that's the best stack because it's like, like how, how much do I need out of that? If that's a 42 total and it goes to 54, like the rest of my lineup is Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin cook and Austin Eckler. And, 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 you know, like, there you go. I got, I got the good pieces. I got a Michael Thomas in, in my third wide receiver slot. So like, Typically, I'm looking for those types of stacks and then the rest of my lineup, because typically those types of stacks are lower owned that I don't need to worry about leverage anymore, even for a, for a Millie maker type of tournament. It's kind of like, let me get the three plus one, the three plus two. That combined stack is less than 1% owned as a five person stack. So it's just basically, tell, I'm just plugging the best plays. Give me, give, give me the best plays with it. And uh, if that stack goes off, I win. Well, okay, let's talk about a different aspect of macro strategy for a second. You mentioned McCaffrey and Cook. Uh, I will 100% have 
zero McCaffrey, 100%. No chance that he's in any of my lineups for those top-heavy tournaments. And um, DraftKings pricing, um, Cook will be underweight by a good bit. Um, Well, I understand McCaffrey because if you actually look at even last year, he put up great numbers, but like most of the time you didn't even need him to win. It was actually cost prohibitive for you to have him in your lineup. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's a few different reasons why why I would never have him in there. Um, can you can you fill us in? You, you, very, very shady, kind of like I'm not going to have him, but I kind of don't want to tell you why. It basically comes down to. Um, like we sometimes treat running backs in football like like it's golf or something okay of course you know Rory is going to he's he's going to be in the top few every year right Dustin's going to be in the top few every year there's like a lot of stability to it year by year but somebody like Gurley has a big year and we treat it we treat it as if it's extremely likely to repeat itself um when at the running back position it often does not repeat. Now, look, it sets up nicely for for it to repeat for McCaffrey. So in terms of millionaire maker strategy, the reason I'll have zero, it it actually has nothing to do with, with Christian McCaffrey. It's really more about the, um, the $10,000 price. Um, and again, looking at the advanced sports analytics data in a, in a macro kind of way, if you wanted to, if you wanted to summarize the distributional data, um, the distributional data suggests that the that the typical millionaire maker strategy should be pay down for QB, pay down for running backs, um, pay up for wide receivers, pay down for defenses, tight end question mark right, but the the reason to pay down for running backs less so than wide receivers is because um, wide receivers, the elite wide receivers have access to a ceiling that the low price wide receivers reach never. And they, they also, the Julio's have access to a, a ceiling that the the mid-tier receivers are extremely unlikely to reach. So they really they they really are in their own category in a way that the that the running backs are not. Um, an alternative way to think about the same idea is that um, let's say I'm making 50 lineups for the hundred dollar contest with the million up top, okay? I can approximate my my expected value by just trying to maximize the probability of first place with those fifty with those fifty entries. Um, the reason I'll have a lot of Devonte Adams and and Julio Michael Thomas is because they have access to a very um, unique ceiling, and furthermore. In their good weeks, although this hasn't necessarily been true the past two years, but it is true the past 10 years, in their, in their very best weeks, they will also blow away the, 
the top running back scores. Like a very good score for them is uh, is is better than a very good running back score. Um, and so I will tend to play uh, those guys and be cheap at running back because I feel like I can't I can't replicate those top wide receiver. Uh, scores with like a good week from Tyler Boyd or something. Um, however, if you give me five different lineups, I can come up with different combinations of running backs that can match the McCaffrey score. Um, like the, uh, in terms of replacement, it's much, it's much more likely with a few shots on goal to be able to, to approximate a McCaffrey production for 60% of the cost or 50% of the cost than, than you are to, to be able to uh, replicate like a good week from, from Michael Thomas or, or Julio. Um, so, so for me, um, my, my preferred construction will be um, low to mid at running back and, and, high at wide receiver and flex will tend to be wide receiver. I'm, I'm with you completely, but I'm using that as my one-offs. So like when you say like Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas this week, like I'm, I'm also typically I'm very exposed to those wide receivers as my wide receiver three in a stack, a three plus one type of stack or in the flex using four wide receivers, but I'm also exposed to the Austin Ecklers, Josh Jacobs. Like I'm also exposed to the, even the cheap running backs. The, you know, we, we have some 5k running backs, you know, girly this week in the 6k range that could replicate an 8k running back score, but I'm typically not building the stacks around them. I'm building the stacks in the way of what games based on their price, based on the ownership could go closer to the plus one standard deviation range and then filling in. Like, I don't look at like the cheap running backs and go, okay, well, I want to, I want to play some Marlon Mack this week. And then how do I, uh, how do I find some ways to get the three uh, Jaguars into my lineup? And I go, no, I could just play Marlon Mack as, as, as a one-off as a cheaper running back in a different stack. But like, I'm not necessarily building like Julio Jones or Devonte Adams. Like, are you are you telling me that, like this week especially, like do you do you want to play Kirk Cousins? Do you want to play Thielen, Cousins, Ola B.C. Johnson, and Adams and Lazard? As uh, it includes Julio, it includes Devontae Adams, but like I don't I I think that's I think that's extremely useful when it comes to what one offs, but I don't necessarily do you factor that into your stacks. Well, to be clear, I don't think this is a week where stacking is especially uh, important. Like, like stacking is not absolutely central to what I'm doing this week. I, I would, I would rather have a good uh, like lineup construction with good upside than to try to um, be particularly oriented towards stacks. Is there a reason for this week? Is it because I mean, a big thing about this week, we don't have a preseason. Uh, we have tons of group think of what people think the teams are going to do. Uh, you know, obviously rust, uh, whether it be offensively or defensively 
I mean, is is the reason why, like, do you just not think that there may not be any game that's worth stacking? Yeah, it, it really, for me, it comes down to the idea that I think that the majority of lineups in these contests will be dead because they make a mistake at one or, or more positions in choosing someone that possibly has a good medium projection but has no pop. Um, and I just want to have a lot of lineups that don't have that mistake that have reasonable correlation, but they're not focused on stacking and they, they have players that collectively can hit a very high ceiling. Um, so I'm, I'm just focused on, on that, like high upside lineups. And I'm, I'm not especially focused on stacking this week. Do you not feel that with kind of the uncertainty that we can expect in this early stage of the season that maybe like to me, I think trying to really hit all the individual plays as as opposed to going with stacks makes more sense when there is a ton of clarity around players roles, but with so much uncertainty to me and perhaps, you know, incorrectly, I, I feel like maybe in the early stages, it, it might make more sense to, rather than try to identify specific players who are in exceptional individual positions, just identify teams that are, uh, you know, as a collection, strong, uh, valuable, and, you know, not try to be too fine in our attempt to kind of find the optimal uh, players. Does that seem valid or uh, you think – with the uncertainty, it, there's maybe more credence to trying to chase individual plays as opposed to a collection of plays. I I lean towards the individual plays, um, especially like this week. I know what I can do well. I can construct good, high quality, high upside lineups with some good correlation. I know that I can do that well. Um, I don't think that I can say special things about what's likely to happen on any given teams. I, I, I kind of think that this is a week of maximal uncertainty where there are, there are a fair number of teams that I would rather just not try to say anything about. Um, so just, it might be like a third of the teams, right? Like I live in Miami and I can't make any projections about what that Miami New England game is going to be like, and I don't know if my collective lineups are going to be any the worse for that. You know what I'm saying? I get what you're saying, but I actually embrace that. Like my style of play is to, that's, I, I embrace that people don't know. People are going to gravitate to either what they know or what they think they know. So like what they know is kind of like, we look at, we look at Devontae Adams. It's like, okay, we know that. We, we've seen the Packers. We've seen the Vikings. Like, yeah, without digs, people are just assuming that, oh, Thielen's going to get the targets. Well, who, who says Ola B.C. Johnson doesn't come in and act like Stefan Diggs and at 2% owned gets 100 yards on eight reception? I mean, yes, it's a low probability result, but we don't know. So people are going to wait and see. I'm not saying that I'm playing 30% of them, but – if he's cheap enough, I'll play him. But then we have the guys that we think that we know, the Antonio Gibsons, 
where people, he's 4K and the Redskins, they got rid of AP and, oh, I think he's going to get 20 touches this game. Like, did, really? He's never he's never played in a, a down in, in the National Football League. He's going to be 20 plus percent owned. Yes, he could. Yes, if he gets 25 touches, he's going to probably greatly outperform his, his salary from a median perspective. Is he worth the 20 plus percent ownership? Is, uh, I mean, we, we, we take a look down even at the ownership and, like it, Marquise Brown, like that seems like a death trap because Marquise Brown, he could have, he could only end up with three receptions. Yeah. The three receptions, you go for 110 yards. Right. But at 25% ownership, it's like, well, we know the Ravens offense. So like, you're going with what, you know, and I'm looking for the spots where, what, what do we know about the Patriots without Brady and everything? Like who says Newton and Edelman, don't go nuts on a crappy Miami team. Well, if you're going to wait for next week, well, by next week, they're going to be owned at those prices. I'm going to try to get them low. I'm going to try to buy low on uncertainty, not go all in or in it. I'd rather this week, my player pool is going to probably be the widest that I normally would make it. I'm going to play 150 lineups, and I'm, I may have a piece of nearly every game to some extent. Uh and probably be very light on the high owned plays. And then just, I'm going with what people think. Oh, the Eagles. Oh, uh, uh, Deshaun Jackson's just going to walk in at 4,900 and start eight, eight receptions. And like, but the, he's not that type of receiver to begin with. Who says that Greg Ward doesn't have two touchdowns? Who says that Dallas Goddard, they played the 12 personnel and, and Deshaun Jackson is just out running fly routes, not getting the ball. He's going to be 20 plus percent owned because people think they know what's going to happen. I'd rather go and say, uh, you know, hey, maybe uh, Lion Stack, Stafford, Jones, Galladay, you know, oh, but it's the Bears defense. But the correlation between from one year to the other on what the good teams and the bad teams and the matchups, you've done the analysis. It's, it's much lower than people believe. So, like, I'm not going to just assume that the San Francisco defense is good anymore. I mean, they're probably better. Right. I'm going to say there's going to be some baseline, but I'm not going in. Hey, there's a new coach in Carolina who says Christian McCaffrey plays every snap. Maybe he only plays 75% of snaps now. Is that the likely scenario? No, he probably, he's probably going to be on the field like 95 plus percent of the time, but at 10 K like if that ends up not happening, because people think it's like last year, I'll be under on Christian McCaffrey as chalk. So like I view it, I want to see the uncertainty when we get to week 14 where we look around and there's no injuries and it's like eh, everything's kind of efficient then like there's nothing for me to exploit i'm going in going go maybe seattle and atlanta turn into a 20 to 7 game because the just the offenses can't move the ball and they're super owned and then i'm i'm playing phil rivers with ty hilton and paris campbell or something and they just run over the Jaguars for 49 points only because we don't know. Those are the unlikely scenarios, but I think that's more un, more likely that unlikely scenarios happen in an uncertain market than in a certain. One. Who are, who are your uh, running backs with pop this week? Who are, who are your uh, millionaire maker running backs this week? I mean, I haven't made my player pool yet, but I mean, I could just, I could sort right by now. I mean, I think uh, depending, even even without the status of David Montgomery, Tariq Cohen for forty nine hundred. Uh, I think I I have no sh- 
problem taking a shot on Le'Veon Bell. Chris Carson against the Falcons. Uh, Gurley. Joe Mixon at probably sub-10% owned. Sony Michelle at 4,600 for the Patriots. You know, against the Panthers, maybe he gets 20 carries. Maybe it's Rex Burkhead. Who knows? I'm not going to be playing these guys in 30% of my lineups. But, I mean, I'm comparing it to the price. So, like, if, if Dalvin Cook is going to be half as owned as Christian McCaffrey, like, I'll play Dalvin Cook and I'll play him opposite in a secondary correlation with Devontae Adams. Because Devontae Adams obviously has a high ceiling. So if that game, if Galvin Cook breaks off a 70-yard run, that creates one big play, which turns the ball over for to, to the Packers, and the game starts rolling. So, like, I'm looking at those. I'm looking at Austin Eckler. Maybe Austin Eckler, you know, catches. Maybe Ty, everyone's assuming that Tyrod Taylor, he's a running quarterback, and running quarterbacks don't tend to throw to pass-catching running backs as often, historically. But that's like... We're coming up with just narratives that, like, where'd you get that from? Like, is is that is is it true? Is it going to be true in this case? Austin Eckler may end up with 90. Maybe he's on the field for 99% of the plays against the Bengals, and the Chargers just roll them over for 35 points. So, like, I'm looking at those types of situations. I'm not looking at, <laughs> like, the, the, the chalk running backs. Like, everyone assumes Josh Jacobs doesn't catch the ball out of the backfield. They say he's, he's going to catch the ball more. Well, what happens if I treat him as if, they, if he is going to do it? So I'm looking for those uncertain situations. Alvin Kamara, I'm not uncertain about. We've seen the Saints. The Saints haven't changed much. So to me, Alvin Kamara has a high ceiling, but there's no uncertainty there. I don't mind playing him, but I'm not going out of my way. Miles Sanders is going to be popular. So like I'm going out of my way to think in terms of, well, Doug Peterson just ends up running Boston Scott out there for no apparent reason. And everyone's just sitting around going, going like, well, my Sanders teams aren't doing well. And while everyone's going, Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, uh, Jamal Williams is going to be there. But Dylan's there also. Aaron Jones is going to get screwed like he always does. Aaron Jones has had four touchdown games before. He's going to be 4% owned. Who says I can't play him? I mean, I'm not, I'm, I know I'm naming like all the running backs or whatever, but I'm just, I'm just finding places where what the crowd thinks is not a hundred percent. So compared to their ownership, I just want to exploit that. Jordan, you're talking a lot about attacking unknowns and trying to exploit them. Are you, in terms of filling out your lineup, are you trying to balance a lineup between exploiting unknowns and taking advantage of known good spots? Or are you just going at pretty much every position, like attempting to exploit unknowns? Um, I guess I see, you know, the benefit of attacking unknowns across the board throughout the lineup, you know, good upside if you hit all of them correctly. However, they are unknowns because, uh, or will people tend to avoid unknowns because there is inherent risk there? Are you trying to build lineups that like balance uh, exploitations of unknowns with, you know, uh, I guess, valuable known quantities or just trying to go unknown attack kind of across the board? Well, I don't think I have to go all the way down. I mean, like, you don't need 1% players in the rest of your lineup. But like Brandon said, the more known commodities are at wide receiver to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm more likely, like, taking a look at wide receiver this week, I'm way more likely to be over on Thomas, over on Jones, over on Adams, over on even Thielen, Allen Robinson, DJ uh, Moore, the lock. I'm like, I'm, I'm much more likely to have them in a flex even 
in a four wide receiver build because they're, they're nodes, but they're also nodes with high seal. I mean, like, like Brandon said, they have access to ceilings that other players don't. I'm not going with unknowns that uh, maybe it turns out that Hunter Renfro gets all the Raiders targets. Like, what's the likelihood that Hunter Renfro has an eight catch, 120 yard, two touchdown game? But low. Like, I'd, ra- I'd rather take a shot. I'd rather have a tight end at that price where I just need a touchdown to make value. I'm not going down and going, what happens if it's Russell Gage week? I'm like, I'm, I'm not doing that. But in one-offs, that's not opposed to a stack. Like I'm, I, I have no problem going after, I'm no, no problem in my flex where everyone's playing Josh Jacobs. And in that lineup, I'm playing Aaron Jones for five times less ownership because who knows? Maybe Aaron, I mean, like, do we know what we think that we know? Josh Jacobs, from a median perspective, has like a two-point higher median, but like five times less ownership. They'll go for a mix-in instead. So I'm, I'm looking for those spots to differentiate, but I'm not necessarily like, I'm not building my lineup where my running backs are like David Montgomery, Jonathan Taylor, and Devin Singletary, and then going like, yeah, individually, like we don't know, and it could happen, but like now I need to hit like three times. It's like it's like I need I need to hit like three separate like three outer type of plays. They'll be mixed in in my player pool, but I don't I, I don't think you need to put all of them in one lineup. Got it. Or, um, maybe you could speak to uh, a subtle stacking point. Um, Jordan has mentioned a couple of times the idea of stacks that include running backs. So just for instance, the Dalvin Cook, Devontae Adams stack where you're you're having a dominant running back and running it back with a wide receiver. Um, it's I'm wondering if you could maybe summarize some of our work on that. It's for me uh, not a construction that I would use in a in a very large field. Um, but if I recall our data on it, it's it's a little bit uh, complex and it. It depends a lot based on the type of running back you have. So, for instance, when Le'Veon Bell was in full swing with Roethlisberger, he was the type of back who was goal line, was pass catching, was most downs. Like he could, you could easily have him as a high price, maybe the highest price running back, and then have a wide receiver from the opposing team who's also high priced. Um, For me, based on the way running back salaries go now, it it wouldn't be a good construction because. um, What's the price that they're very, both of them are very pricey. Yeah. And like a lot of, a lot of the high price running backs to get there, they need game script in their favor and they get there mostly in the second half and they get there by running clock. And the clock is like the resource that you need. If you're going to win a, if you're going to win a GPP, like you need that, that's your expiration date. You need to have a lot of stuff happen before the clock ticks off. And, and every time the Josh Jacobs of the world get there, they're like ticking down that clock. And if you're running, if you're running opposing wide receivers, it gets tough. It gets tough to get there, like for millionaire maker type scores. 
that's just my mindset. So I would be like inclined to, to play the, um, like a low priced version of like Austin Eckler and then run it back with a, with a wide receiver. Like I could do that in terms of running back and opposing wide receiver. But for me, even like in the, in the Seattle Atlanta game, even with like Chris Carson, like I would not like a Chris Carson Julio construction that would, that wouldn't be the way that I would naturally go. Um, what, what do you have to say on the, on that Stuart? Yeah, so we've we've actually done some good work around uh, just correlation searching uh, by player. You know, I think there's pretty well-known correlation matrices by position where, you know, RB correlates with DST, a certain positive amount, and you know, negatively correlates with quarterback and wide receiver a certain amount. Um, and, like, that's all good. And, like, I think the – you know, the, the premise of that is that you have a ton of samples of, you know, player roles correlating with other roles. Um, But we've done some good work, I think, on just player-specific correlations, so how individual players uh, correlate with one another and how they correlate with sets of players on the opposition. Um, You know, because, yeah, sure, like wide receivers, uh, competing wide receivers typically negatively correlate with one another. It's kind of a cannibalistic relationship, but there are certain teams where you actually see positive correlation between receivers that you would think compete. I I think back to last year, uh, Seattle was a team whose uh, top two receivers Lockett and Metcalf had somewhat sneaky uh, positive correlation. I think that was a, I'm not going to say unique, but somewhat rare situation that I believe Brandon, you successfully exploited one week into a big uh, payout and, and, you know, I think, I don't know. I have my own hypotheses as to why that was. I think it's because Metcalf is your, is your end zone guy and Lockett, Lockett is your down the field guy. And so, so strangely, the Lockett success actually sets up the Metcalf success. In yeah. a way. I mean, my hypothesis is that Seattle last year was super game flow dependent in terms of how their offense operated. So like games in which, Lockett was succeeding were games that just really shifted Seattle to super pass heavy, uh, such that it also benefit benefited, uh, you know, Metcalf, uh, you know, even though you would think that their kind of production would compete, um, you know, one stack we've talked about already, uh, Chicago, I think is super interesting this week with Tark Cohen, uh, you know, typically running backs don't have kind of a positive correlation triangle with wide receivers and quarterbacks, but, um, you know, Chicago is an instance where you do have pretty good uh, triangular correlation between running back Cohen, uh, QB Trubitsky, and either, you know, Miller or Robinson. So I think we've done some good work on, uh, you know, teasing out player correlation at a player level uh, or correlation at a player level as opposed to like positional level uh, to maybe find areas which could be exploited. Um, you know, the downside of this approach is that you're relying on small samples, right? I mean, Cohen, Trubisky, and let's say Anthony Miller have only played, uh, you know, a dozen games together as we have, you know, hundreds of samples of, you know, backup running back, wide receiver, quarterback. Um, but I, I do think what you trade in kind of sample size, you, you gain some, uh, you know, player specific relationships that maybe uh, 
aren't readily available with kind of that standard uh, positional correlation grid. Right. And we're, we're looking for correlation for, for upside. I mean, that's kind of the point when one event happens, another event happens. So you don't have to rely on 18 different events in order to win, you know, first place in a large, large field GPP, like the Millie maker, you know, if you want to win a million dollars, you should try to maximize your ceiling as much as possible. But I'm telling you, there are a hundred million reasons why you should listen up right now. Because DraftKings, the leader in one-day daily fantasy sports, is celebrating the return of sports by giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all of their customers, including one lucky winner, who will take home $1 million cash prize. So to claim your share of up to $100 million in instant giveaways, this is what you have to do. Download the app. I assume you already have the app. We're talking about DraftKings pricing. So I don't know why. Maybe, 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 you're on, maybe you're on another site. But you should download the DraftKings app and sign up using the promo code DFF. Okay, DFF. Then enter the DraftKings free football survivor pool. It's really that easy to claim your share of up to $100 million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running to win a $1 million cash prize. While the top prize is reserved for one lucky winner, everyone who signs up and enters DraftKings free football survivor pool will receive an instant bonus prize of at least $5 in value upon entering. So while you're in the app, don't forget to check out all the great daily fantasy contests DraftKings is hosting for the basketball, for golf, and obviously week one NFL action. So download the DraftKings app now and use the promo code DFF to claim your share of $100 million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running for the $1 million cash top prize. That's promo code DFF to get your share of $100 million in prizes. Only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Now, uh, I know we, we, we talk about DraftKings and, uh, and, and obviously FanDuel. Is there... Obviously, in, because of the scoring system and uh, half PPR, like FanDuel leans more towards touchdown equity. Like it, it's a little bit higher variance. And because the, the pricing tends to be a little bit softer, is there, Brandon, is there anything that, that you do significantly different on FanDuel than DraftKings when it comes to these large field GPPs? Sorry, I was just looking at my thing. I, I had a misclick on my. I, I found a misclick on my uh, on my DraftKings page. Um, Did you accidentally have Christian McCaffrey in the line? No, but I, <laughs> I had a rare misclick, which is never fun. Um, okay, repeat the question. Is there thinking- anything significant because of the Fanduel pricing and the fact that it's half PPR that makes your general not just or just for week one? But just in general, I know we talk a lot about DraftKings on this show, but there are people that may play on FanDuel. Like, is there anything significant? I, I, I think I'm less, I'm more likely to stack on DraftKings than I am on FanDuel, only because, like, the, the, the uh, interaction between players, such as quarterback, wide receiver, because you're only getting a half a point, I think it's, I think I'm much more likely to, single stack, do a two plus one, go touchdown hunting more so than 
doing, the, you know, the big old three plus three on DraftKings, where like if they have, you know, 86 plays in this game, like both sides, you're, you're just going to get, you know, 45 passes aside, you're just going to get, you're just going to rack up PPR points so much more, especially with the bonuses on DraftKings and not on FanDuel. Yeah, I, I agree that stacking is much more important on DraftKings with the with the full PPR. Um, also, the pricing tends to be a bit tighter. Uh, I think that increases the case for stacking. Um, and I think that your stereotypical FanDuel construction should be more paying up for running back, much less so on DraftKings. Um, and that's just a function of with the, with the half point PPR, it's, it's just, it's just a lot harder for the running backs that don't have opportunity to get there. And it's, you have a lot of viable, uh, cheap PPR running backs on DraftKings that will, that will maybe not get the goal line work, not get the fourth down work, but get, get a lot of, uh, just pass catching plays. One of which might break off, um, on FanDuel, it's typically much harder going for those for those people, and and you typically find that the uh, the best constructions have good running backs where if they get downhill, they can post a big score like your your mix and plus kind of thing. Um, yeah, so that's that's the difference for me. Okay, so let's let's get down into the games. Uh, I don't think we we necessarily have to go like for all the games, game by game, but I know that we've pointed out several games. I know that you've said that you're almost throwing out two thirds of the games to begin with. I'm not doing that, but I mean, you already mentioned that, you know, your key target is uh Seattle Atlanta. And I'm going to tell you straight out, I'm going to be under on that game. So like, but it's only for me, I agree that it's probably the game to target, but it also is going to be coming with, that's going to be what's going to be owned. So like, like I, I'm weighing like, yeah, I see why it is. Uh, but go into the matter of like, since you're, you're saying you're not stacking as much. So like, are you, are you just playing like, just like Matt Ryan, Julio Jones and, and, and lock it on the other side, kind of like a, a two plus one type of deal and not like a three plus three, like a mega correct, stack. Correct. My, my, many more of my lineups will be of, of that type, like the, the two one kind of thing or the three one. Um, that's just the way that I'm going this week personally. So, so for that game, is it, are you more, is that the, essentially, is it Ryan plus Jones or Ryan plus Julio or Ryan plus Ridley and then a lock at Metcalf run back? I mean, you're, we're not talking about Gurley or Carson. You already mentioned before, you kind of even, you don't even want those running backs. Well, I will have other lineups that have those running backs that, that maybe have a max one of the receivers. Um, so I'll have a lot of different possible paths for that game to go. Um, but I won't have many lineups that just have lots of pieces from the same game. That's not really a way that I'm going. Okay. So what other games stand out? We're, th- we're throwing out two thirds of the game. I'm, I'm with you that I'm with you that Philly, uh, uh, Washington is, is a good game. Um, I think that, that, uh, Detroit, Chicago is tempting. I won't have too much of that just because, as we've said, it's, our work suggests that when the total is that low, you can kind of just trust the total and 
not necessarily uh, not necessarily go with it. Um, well, if you look at the if you go by totals, I mean, take a look at Baltimore, Cleveland. I mean, with the Ravens Browns has a 40, 48 total, so that kind of fits in that range. But like, what are the pieces that you want in this game? Like, I I don't view this game as stackable. I I rarely view Lamar Jackson games as stackable to begin with. Uh, like to do the Jackson Brown Andrews, like it, it's just so obvious and it tends to be owned. Like, do you want to play OBJ or Landry on the other side? Like I get the total, but I just, I, I'm not enthralled with the pieces. I'm more, I'm more likely to play a Browns player if I'm playing that stack, then play the stack like by itself, because it's just like, if, if that stack gets there, I'm sh- I'm just sharing it with like, like who you're not playing my, who's playing miles Boykin. You're probably not doing that. So like, while, and we also have like the, the Raiders Panthers game. That's at 47 and a half. So that's high enough for you. I know you're, you're, you're greedy with these over unders. I don't mind going a little bit lower, but like, who do you play in this? I mean, you don't want to play McCaffrey. And then what? You're playing the passing game? You're playing the uh, Bridgewater, Samuel, Moore. And then you don't want to play Jacobs on the other side. So you're playing rugs. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, it's doable, but I mean, it just. Yeah, I think I think that type of just the one the one and one construction is fine for uh, like Carolina Vegas, just uh, receiver and, and receiver. I think that's fine. I, I also think that um, Lamar um in general you don't want to pay up for QB for a very large field tournament but i'm okay with the lamar to andrews construction for very large field um because lamar's ceiling for a quarterback i mean he has access to 40 plus points that no other quarterback really realistically has on a regular basis yeah um and Andrews is very likely to be a top three tight end. So like if you have unusual spots elsewhere in your lineup, I think it's a fine starting point. Like if you're going for, let's just say, let's just say you're going for um, the Miami new England and you're trying to pick a Miami receiver and a new England receiver. I'm fine with making that an, and an Andrews Lamar construction because um those guys are very likely to hit at their respective positions. And, and so then you just, you just need the unlikely parlay of the, of, of the, uh, the Miami and new England guys hitting as well. Um, also spinning up on quarterback, it, it has traditionally been something you don't want to do in tournaments just because for one thing, the separation of like QB one versus QB five, most weeks is fairly limited. Uh, And also um, you typically do get this pricing differential where the QB one in in price is like 50 to 60% more than like your, your middle price QBs. And and on any given week, the middle price QBs will almost match QB one for performance. Um, So that's, that's why people have tended to be off it, but, but then again, like all else equal, you want to allocate more salary dollars to positions where the top options at that position have 
high expected fantasy point per dollar. And if you just look at a reasonable set of projections, often the QB position has the, the highest expected fantasy point per dollar for any given position. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not at all unreasonable to, uh, to allocate to, to a Lamar. Um, I don't, I don't mind the construction. I'm just saying that he's not necessarily the greatest stacking. Like you could, like he's the only quarterback that I consider playing without anyone. Like just naked, naked Lamar. That's it. But I'm still more likely to, like, if he puts up a 40 plus point score, like he typically has cheap enough receive. Like Marquise Brown this week is 5100. I still have no clue why he's going to be 20 plus percent owned. Like he's the, he he is he is the by far the receiver that I am flummoxed on his ownership. Because, yes, he has a ceiling. He also has no floor. So, like, to me, his range of outcomes is so wide that in any DFS sport, my my style of play is that the wider the range of outcomes gets and the more owned they are, the more likely I don't play them at all. And I want to play the wide range of outcomes guys that are 2%. Like, if they're low-owned, as long as they're decent enough receivers, I'm not. I'm not going down and playing 3K guys. I, I'm not saying Marquise Brown is not a bad receiver or anything, but I mean, if we take a look, even even in his price range, like at 5100, I mean, you could play at wide receiver. I'm scrolling down here, like Henry Ruggs. That's a. I mean, that's uncertainty. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, Marvin Jones. He's a fairly wide range of outcomes, and he'll be way lower on John, the Buffalo guys, John Brown. We've seen John Brown put up humongous games. It may be different. Obviously, it's a horrible game environment. There's probably going to be wind. I'm not saying that him particularly. A.J. Green says he's 100%. T.Y. Hilton, Emmanuel Sanders on the Saints, he's going to be 2% owned. These are all wide range of outcomes players that for a GPP, like, why am I playing 25% on Marquise Brown? Yes, I'll play him in a Lamar stack. I get it. But if I'm not playing Lamar Jackson, like why am I taking a one-off? I, I'm going to just not take him and hope he has an eight-point game and then he busts a quarter of the lineups in the GPP rather than eat that chalk. I mean, I get it that probably based on the distributional outcomes, he could pop. He is more likely shot of popping than any of the other receivers that I mentioned. But does he have a five time more likely, six times more likely. I doubt it. Am I not making any sense or am I, am I just missing something on Marquise Brown? Um, you can tell me I'm missing something. You can tell me I'm wrong. Well, see, I think when you talk about the wide range of outcomes, when you give me that, um, I'm okay with taking the high ownership along with it. And I don't care that the floor is very bad. Like that, that doesn't You're not matter. playing for, I understand that. But all I'm saying is that if his, let's say if we, instead of going by pop rate or smash rate, like the chances of him popping, I'm going by the chances of him failing. And I get so much more relative value by 25% of the field failing than by getting, if Marquise Brown goes for 32 points for 40, 50, 100, and I have him in my lineup at 25% owned, you're going to need him. If you don't have him in your lineup, you probably, you're not winning the Millie. 
But if you have him in your lineup, you may not even be cashing the milk. He's 25% owned. So how much are you gaining when he goes off? But like, I, I, I did well the week that Marvin Jones had a four touchdown game and he was 2% owned. Like I gained so much more by taking shots on those players than by eating wide range of outcome chalk. There's a number of similar. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to kind of shift this to a different game. So uh, if we want to continue talking Brown. Uh... Well, I'll comment on this for 30 seconds and then we'll, and then we'll, and then we'll go on that. I, I, I would just say my reason, the reason that I'm okay with taking him is because um, I think that the ownership stuff that you're talking about is absolutely crucial in a, a 500 person contest. Um, when I'm thinking about the millionaire maker, I'm thinking that what makes so many of the lineups bad is that they, they don't have access to a high ceiling based on mistakes that they're making perhaps on just a couple of positions. Um, so I'm just trying to avoid those mistakes. Um, and I'm okay if in the process of avoiding the mistakes, I get the, the, the very high upside, the very high volatility guy that happens to be uh, high ownership. Um, I think that in the millionaire maker, the fact that Marquise Brown fails, who cares? Like you, you've gained a little bit, you've gained on 25% of the field, but you still have to beat a lot of people. And I, for me personally, the ownership part of it in a millionaire maker context is, is not uh, as important as it would be in the, in the small and medium size contest. All right, Stuart, no more derailing game by game. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we've been talking about some of the the high total games and uh, I don't know, I'm more interested kind of in it from a quarterback standpoint, but I was just looking at the, uh, you know, guys priced around Brown and we got some injury news uh, to come across uh, or I guess, we'll shape uh, this game out later in the weekend. But uh, I mean, San Francisco to me is a, a game uh, or a team that's sitting at a pretty good total. Um, you know, I think we've found that more so than any other position uh, game total, uh, or I'm sorry, team implied team total correlates most strongly with the quarterback. And I mean, you know, Baltimore is only a smidge over what San Francisco, uh, you know, implied total is, and, you know, you got Garoppolo at, what, a 2.5K uh, discount. I mean, to me, that seems to be an interesting spot. And I think a lot of people will think that, you know, think back to that playoff run for San Francisco in which they were so run heavy. You know, how could you possibly play uh, Garoppolo and, you know, receiving core? Uh, you know, San Francisco is going to run the ball – or, I'm sorry, pass the ball eight times. Like, you know, how um, – how could you possibly consider that team? But like, it's a great total. Uh, you know, Arizona's a really good pace up matchup. I think there's a lot of interesting pieces on the other side of the ball. Uh, receivers, running backs uh, on the Arizona side. And, you know, I think there's potential in San Francisco to have a really, really condensed, uh, especially if, you know, we'll see kind of if Samuel plays or not. And like, you know, Samuel plays, I think he's at an incredible price. If he doesn't play, then I think like Kendrick Bourne or Brandon Ayuk are at a great price. Uh, you know, George Kittle is, you know, just going to gonna get his usual allotment of targets kind of one way or the other. 
I think to me, this is a really interesting game uh, that might go overlooked um, for some of kind of the flashier pieces. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of potential with, with this stack uh, for both the San Francisco team stack and just a San Francisco, Arizona game stack uh, as a whole. I agree 100%. And Brandon's right. not. Brandon's no, going to no, say, no, I, Brandon's I, gonna I, say I, Kendrick Bourne has no pop. He can't play him, even though he's going to be less than 1% owned. Can't possibly play San Francisco, who have no receivers. So It's so much uncertainty. Can't touch it. Can't touch the uncertainty. Arizona, we don't know what the hell's going to happen with them. They have so many receivers and new pieces. Is Hopkins going to be good with a new quarterback? It's it's a game of entirely uncertainty. A lot of recency bias, like Stewart said. Oh, they're going to run the ball, and you have a three-headed monster. Who knows? Who's, I, I, do you take any of the running backs? Who knows? Most there, McKinnon. Uh, who, who knows who's it, who's it going to be? But all you're going to know is that, like, this game last year, both went over, and they both. And I mean, I, I don't want to use the whole, you know, the two-game sample size, but it's a 48 total, and. It's not going to be a 48 total if San Francisco runs the ball 42 times. It can't possibly get to that if they're running five yards at a time. Like, it can't get up there. So there's going to be passing. Arizona could have three and outs all over the place. We saw that last year. And no one's going to touch this. I mean, like, the ownership on this game is, I mean, no people don't want to pay up all the way for Kittle, even though he has access to, obviously, the highest tight end uh, result. They're going to play Ertz. They're going to play guys in like the 4K, 5K range. And it's quite possible that if Garoppolo, even if he, let's say he he only throws 30 times and he's 24 for 30. Well, all 24, it could be, Kittle could have 14 catches and Bourne could have eight catches. They both go over a hundred yards. Kenyon Drake has, you know, 80 yards rushing and 60 yards receiving in the touchdown. And he's cheap enough. Like compared to the ownership I, I mean, I'm taking a shot on this game. I don't, I don't, I don't care if I don't care if Kendrick Bourne doesn't pop in your model, Brandon. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. This is this is why we do these shows. Get talked on to stuff. Um, what? Uh, okay, you mentioned uh, Paris Campbell. Um, I, I think Indianapolis is going to be a, a, a popular game. Uh, really you think so we we don't have we don't have them as that own i I think rivers hilton is going to be uh somewhat popular people perceive jack i think it's the opposite i think people perceive rivers as horrible but i'm Uh, with you no i'm with you i if if they're if they're gonna i mean they're they're on my radar also i mean only because of the the ownership i just i i think hilton as a one-off you may see a bunch of but i i don't i really don't think you're gonna see a lot of like, I don't, I mean, the problem is, is that like, do you want to run that back with what DJ shark or something? I mean, like I, I look at like, it's hard to even look at anyone on the Jacksonville side. I think I'm more likely to maybe take a shot on like a Chris Conley, but he's not going to pop. So like if I play Indianapolis, I'm, I'm more likely to just play the play the they just run them over. Like I just play like Marlon Mack as a one-off or I play like just a three-man stack, just a simple, you know, Rivers, Campbell, or or Doyle with Hilton, and just they just go and win forty-two to three or something. And I don't need the other side of the game. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. But you think they're going to be high owned? I I I don't think so. 
I don't think I don't think Hilton will get past twelve percent ownership. Yeah, that sounds about right. There's a lot of competition at his at, at his level. Uh, what about? I'm curious. Uh, the uh, Chargers Bengals game. I'm curious what you guys have to say about that. Uh, I'm 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 above on the uh, Chargers passing game. Because I think the, the the common thing is that Tyrod Taylor is a gay manager, but the Bengals are most likely horrible. So, like, with, with Mike Williams is out, like I don't mind I don't mind pairing Tyrod with Eckler even. I don't mind playing the, the quarterback running back with Keenan Allen or you know something like that. Guyton, this Guyton guy is three K. I mean, he's not going to pop. But how much do you need in a stack from him? Uh, the only problem is that on the other side, I'd almost rather not have Mixon as my run back because the just by the way that the Bengals, I know, it, but with Burrow, it's a whole new, it's a whole new world in in Cincinnati. I just feel that like if Mixon gets the ball thirty two times this game, there's no way that the Chargers stack pays off. Like it, it's just gonna it's just gonna eat too much. I I I I. I I just don't. I, I'm more likely to take a Boyder at AJ Green on the other side yeah. of the game than play than play Mick. I'll play Mixon as a one-off. I have no problem playing, you know, him just by himself somewhere. But I just think that if if they do what they did last year and just like they're down by three touchdowns and they're still running the ball at the end of the third quarter with Mixon going for three yards, like I just don't see how the other. I mean, the total's low. I mean, the total. It fits your, you know, what, 43 total? Like, the likelihood of this game going off is low, but I think it's even lower if Mixon has a good game. Like, if Mixon puts up 28 points, like, I I don't see where he, what, he just got off for an 80-yard run? Like, I just, I just see it more the fact that Cincinnati just kind of borrow, they just like, this is the, his first game. We're just going to give it a Mixon, only two dump-offs or something. And like I don't see how the Chargers pay off their their tags at that point. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely there. But how but do you, you like the, the, you uh, like the pieces the, of the game? How do you see the uh, Vegas Carolina game going? I'm much more likely to play uh, the see the see the problem is is that I I'd much more likely play the Carolina stack without McCaffrey, but then you think that that. The only the only way that like Bridgewater gets there, like McCaffrey's probably going to catch a bunch of balls anyway. Like I I feel like I'm getting too much of a negative correlation. Like I almost like the pieces of the Carolina side because <clears throat> I can't see taking Bridgewater, McCaffrey, and Samuel or doing something. I don't I don't see myself taking a 10k McCaffrey in a stack. I'd play him by himself if anything. I don't see Bridgewater paying off and all these guys paying off McCaffrey has to put up 40 points to make, to be, be viable, which means he's going to siphon off points from everyone else. But like the Raiders, like I just, I just, I think their distribution of targets is going to be wide enough that the stack in and of a car stack with like uh rugs and Edwards or, or Waller. Like I, I think there's uncertainty there, but I think there's, there's enough, mouths to feed we, we don't know what it's going to be i'm more likely to take those guys as one-offs and hope that one of those guys like 
it just it's it's the rugs game it's the edwards game it's the waller game then stack this because if i step if i play a, a three-man stack of the raiders who do i run it back like i get samuel or more i guess and just what mccaffrey just sits there and does nothing like it's always hard to stack carol with these carolina games because if you're not going to play mccaffrey it's kind of hard to see that yes this game has a 47 48 total if this game goes for 60 plus points like McCaffrey's just going to eat too much of the production that you're going to you're going to want him in the stack and then get a have to hope that he puts up a 40 point game. Yeah. Yeah, I would not run a stack with him personally. I you know I'm not going to play him at all so. So you're not playing you're playing 0% McCaffrey. Yeah. Okay. You guys have any interest in Jacobs is just a singular piece for this game. I know he lacks, you know, traditional upside as a pass catcher, but I mean, God, this Carolina rush defense is, was terrible last year and I don't really see any routes to improvement this year. I mean, I think he's a guy that could single-handedly kind of dominate uh, this game for Las Vegas, uh, not in a way that you'd want to really pair him with pieces of this game, but as kind of a one-off to alternative game stacks. Um, any interest there, or is he kind of a stay away for lack of pass catching upside? Yeah, for me personally, um, I'm going to play so much of him at FanDuel that uh, I won't play so much of him at DraftKings. I'll, I'll pepper in a lot of low-priced running backs before I use him. Um, but that's just because he's easier to fit in at FanDuel. The FanDuel pricing is a little bit looser, and uh, I like him for FanDuel scoring. Um, I'll have him at DraftKings. I like him a lot, but I think for DraftKings, I'll try to t- take my chances on some of the lower-end guys. Fair enough. Talking about lower-end guys. Support yeah, so- the Roto-Grinders. So Antonio Gibson, I I haven't developed a view on him yet. Um, Like I haven't developed a, uh, a DraftKings position. I I'm a hundred percent on Tariq Cohen at a little, a little bit more, um, but I haven't developed uh, an opinion of what I'll do with, with Gibson. I can't possibly see, possibly see being anything close. 25% ownership on a 4k guy that well within one standard deviation of his range of outcomes is six touches i mean you have mckissick there you got love there you got obviously they have the lowest total and the the most likely bad game script like just from an overall macro perspective like people are onto this shiny object they're assuming they're going well they got rid of adrian peterson Gibson's going to be on the field all the time. We don't know anything. He's a rookie and he's 25% owned because people are treating him like a $6,500 running back before he became a six. He's not a $6,400 running back. And then you're sitting there and you're looking at the running back pool and you're going, this is what I do every week, Brandon. I do periscopes because there's always this guy like 17 (laughs) weeks. There's always this cheap running back that walks into something but it's this day and age in the NFL, there's always committees and everything. So, I mean, I take a look at that guy and everyone will be on my periscope 
and go, you know, what do you think of Gibson? Oh, Gibson, locking Gibson, locking Gibson, locking Gibson. And I go, what makes Gibson any different than Tariq Cohen? What makes Gibson any different from Sony Michelle? Tell me, what's the difference between Sony Michelle and Antonio Gibson? Like, well, Antonio Gibson, he could catch passes out of the backfield. Like, yeah, he could, or he could not. What makes him any different than Chris Thompson then? Chris Thompson, okay, he could catch passes out of the backfield. Carry on Johnson. What makes him any different than, than him? It's like, well, they got some other guy. Like, it's a 4K running back where the range of outcomes could be God knows what because they're in a committee and who knows what's going to happen. And But who says Peyton Barber doesn't get 15 carries this game? I mean, like, that, that's, like that's well within the range of outcomes. And I have people that are saying that Antonio Gibson locking in 80% of my lineups. And I'm like, you're nuts. But yes, if you're right, it, it it still stems back to, like I said before, with Marquise Brown. If you're right, what do you gain by it? Okay, now you share. Okay, you're at the cash line. Way to go. But if, if 25% of the people have him and he ends up with six carries for 30 yards and one catch for eight yards, like, thank you. All I have to do is not play him in a lineup and I have enough leverage. Then I just play the best plays without him. Like, that's kind of the theory. It's not the matter of, like, I'm going to play some 4% owned guy and then some weird stack and then try to win the Millie. I, I'm still going after the players that are popping. I'm still going after the targeting is very similar players to you, Brandon. It's just a matter of, yes, I, I don't mind playing Antonio Gibson in a lineup where I'm playing some really off the board stack. If I'm playing a, a, a San Francisco, Arizona stack with Deandre Hopkins, I'll probably need a 4k running back. And yes, if he, if he ends up getting having 20 to 25 touches and scoring a touchdown, he may be worth it. In that lineup, I could see having him. But in a bulk of the lineups, I'm just going to avoid having a 4K run. I, 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 could, I could take so many other players that are 4K that have access to, what, a 15-point game? You know, that's a touchdown and a couple of receptions that, like, why do I need to feel compelled to take on, oh yeah, cash games. You're playing double ups. Okay, sure. Okay, go play him. That's no problem. What's the worst thing that happens? He gets six points and he's sixty percent owned. So who cares? But like, what makes him any different? Like, I take a shot on this. So many other guys. What makes him any different than Ronald Jones? What makes him any? What makes him any different than Kareem Hunt or Marlon Mack? I mean, they're a little bit more pride. Jamal Williams. What makes? I mean, like, it's a running back in a committee that. Has, has the potential, but like, are, are, are you on board with this? Or are you more on board that, that Gibson has so much more likelihood of just walking into a bell cow role that at 4K, he really, sh- he, he, he could be 3K underpriced. So you better play him now and be over the field on. Well, I guess, I guess my take is that, um, for one thing, there is a real shortage of the of the underpriced running backs, the low-priced running backs with pop. So it's definitely uh, worth giving him a lot of consideration because the the uh, that group is very small. And if you look at the course of a season, there is always that week where you have the uh, we there are always multiple weeks where you have the uber chalk running back who is very low on talent, but high on opportunity. And he's, he becomes one third owned. That's the one that I like to avoid because 
the best case scenario for him is not that, that great. It's like one third owned and he gets 18. Um, so um, I'd rather be off the, the low price chalk in that scenario. In a week like this, um, like I said, I haven't established my position exactly on Gibson, but my my instinct would be that um, I, I would be inclined to be equal weight or overweight him because um, that it, it's so much value in terms of getting the ideal lineup construction. If you hit on the 4k that it's, it's okay. That it's, that it's 25 or 30% owned. That's, that's my instinct without having looked at his situation and the alternative situation super carefully. Right. And I, I think we're both, we're, we, we both say the same things while doing it differently. So for instance, if I'm not playing Gibson in a lineup, I don't mind Marquise Brown in that lineup. And if I'm not playing Marquise Brown in that lineup, I don't mind Antonio Gibson in the lineup. So it's not like, I don't want to come across as like, I'm Xing out Marquise Brown and Antonio Gibson from my player pool. It's just the matter of fact of like, yes, they, they have pop, right? Both of them for their salaries. They could be vastly underpriced. They have a very wide range of outcomes, but like, I, I wouldn't want to have both of them in my line. Like I'd rather find, I'd rather use that opportunity to get leverage by either not playing them, not playing a guy in that price range, such as my construction is completely different or like just letting if, if get, let's say in the instance that Gibson and Brown fail and they're both 25% owned, I've essentially wiped. I haven't done anything. My lineup, who knows who's in my lineup? I've essentially destroyed half, I've destroyed 150,000 entries in a contest. So like that, like I, you come at it from the upside perspective of like, is he going to be necessary to win? And I get that, that he's a higher probability. But I look at it from like, what can I do from a game theory perspective that makes your lineups I'm not competing against anymore? So if I could fade... If I if I'm not let's say I'm not playing McCaffrey, we we could agree that if you play McCaffrey, you probably have Gibson in that lineup, right? Because a 10k running back, you're probably going to need a cheap running back in the flex or something. So that's going to be correlated. So and then Jacobs is probably going to be kind of chalky, 20, percent and then Marquise Brown and Deshaun Jackson are going to be chalky in the wide receiver position. So like the combined ownership of all those players is like if let's say. There's there's a situ- there's an outcome where all of them do well. They all do well. Obviously, the Millie Maker winning score is going to be like 300 because they're all going to be super owned. They're all going to be ceiling outcomes. There's also another outcome where they all fail. And when they all fail, the winning score of the Millie Maker could be 200. I mean, could literally be very low because you have like 120. Well, that's, I think that's ownership. the part where maybe we disagree that, that uh, I, I think that that I feel like the chalk failing in the millionaire maker buys you a little bit. Yeah, I, I did. I go along. I know uh, Alex Baker, a well-respected, uh, uh, massively monthly ent- entry player that uh, goes as a well-known moniker, and he's first on the RG leaderboard. Uh, he, I play very similar to him where in, in every sport where he does well when the scoring is low. That pretty much means that the chalk fails. So like in baseball, where the, the, the 80% don't starting pitcher gets blown up. Like you typically see 
the scores being low, but that goes along with my strategy of like targeting these mid-level games with these vomit type stacks, because like, I'm not playing the stack because I think it's going to score 65 points. I think that it's a 42 total that's going to score 54 and the high scoring games fail. So in that case, I win. I have so many more outs because now I, I don't have 50% exposure to like, Oh guy, like if I'm fading, if I'm under on McCaffrey, Gibson, Deshaun Jackson, Marquise Brown, all those guys, I'm playing a player pool of 80 different players. So like, like I'm so light on those players that like I have all these outs. I have all like if Terry Cohen has a good game. I probably have some good lineups with him. Like Kenyon Drake, if Aaron Jones instead of J- Josh Jacobs does well, like I'm I'm playing every week for 17 weeks as I hope the chalk fails this week. How can I expose myself to as many different ways? Because I don't need a 300 point score now. Because if the chalk fails, like my stack could be you know. Stafford, Galladay, Jones could just be, you know, Stafford has 303 touchdowns and Marvin Jones has two, Galladay has one, and just like these middling – McCaffrey could put up 22 points and be in the winning lineup. Who knows? Because all the other chalk fail. So, like, I'm going with that mentality. I'm not going for the pop. I'm going for the 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 the, the, the burst. If there was a, bu- yeah, if there was I, a I, bubble, you, you want the pop of the bubble. <laughs> I, I'm trying to pop it out. I like it. I like it. Well, hey, I feel like we could – we could talk for six hours. Um, I think we, I think we pause, go watch the second half and reconvene next week. I, I don't even know what's going on. We're recording during this, the chiefs. Oh uh, yeah. It's 17, seven chiefs. So, okay. Who, who's, who scored the touchdowns? We've got uh, David Johnson, Kelsey and Sammy Watkins. Oh, so my, okay. I got a couple of lineups that should be good. All right. I got some well, Watson. Hey, some hey, Watkins. Jordan, I knew we would love it, and we loved it. It's uh, it's really fun chatting fantasy with you. We're going to have a good time this, this season. So for Stuart Gibson, for Brandon Adams of Advanced Sports Analytics, I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blenderhead. That has been the Advanced Sports Analytics Show on rotogrinders.com. Mm-hmm.